architects and AEC professionals, it's time to connect, grow, and redefine your professional journey. Imagine a place where you're part of a vibrant community, accessing resources tailored to your needs, and earning continuing education credits effortlessly. That place is here at Gable Media. Join our legacy membership, your exclusive pass to a world of opportunities. With instant access to all our CE courses and groundbreaking content, you're set to excel. And here's the game changer. Lock in your legacy membership at an unbeatable introductory price of just $29 per year, forever. Plus, enjoy contests, events, and unique freebies. But hurry, I hear this special pricing won't last long. Spots in our legacy membership are limited and filling up fast. Follow the link in the show notes to be part of something groundbreaking with Gable Media. I remember looking around and thinking, how is this going to work? As we went around the room and introduced ourselves, I, I remember each company saying, what's important to us is this and what we believe is that. We had to actually unlearn some of the things that at least were in my mind about things that were important to us. We had to give up something, some of our notions about, well, I would never share this with anybody else because it's too important for my business. Learning to share meant unlearning first. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I'm joined by Patrick McLaney, FAIA and former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. This is Build Smart. After his time at HOK, Patrick, as he puts it, has been repurposed. Now, as the chairman of Building Smart International, Patrick will outline a new strategy for the building industry and so much more. You'll find that there's a lesson in every episode. Welcome back to Build Smart. In our last episode, Patrick explained how our communication techniques have evolved in the building industry, what spurred the evolution, and who was impacted by the changes. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes to hear Patrick's full story and insights into how to reimagine the building industry. Now that we fully understand the challenges that we're facing in the building industry, it's time to talk solutions. And that's where we pick up with Patrick today as he gives us insights into the early days of Building Patrick, Smart in International. So you told us that the building industry had many specialists, that there were lots of groups that were part of this building industry, but no one really spoke for the entire industry. Like each group had its own organization, but there was no organization for the entire industry. So what happened after that original meeting that, that you had? Well, um, we, we take it so for granted. You know, I'm an architect and I'm a member in good standing of the AIA, American Institute of Architects. And I have contractor friends that are members of the Association of General Contractors, AGC and, and et cetera. And unless you think deeply about it, well, isn't that good enough? That's the way it's always been. So it should be adequate. And it turns out that the fact that we were all separately organized has led to problems in our industry that we had to address by creating an organization that was open to everybody. The architect, the contractor, the engineer, the people who build equipment or supplies for the buildings and on and on and on. We didn't think about it that way at the beginning. Uh, that was a too big an idea. 
but that idea evolved over time. I think you might remember, and listeners from episode one of the Build Smart series, I had a 50-year career at HOK, and at about midpoint, I was the managing principal of HOK San Francisco, responsible for the office and our projects and our work and keeping the San Francisco office busy and serving clients, et cetera. And I had been plagued by problems with our projects for quite some time and began to be quite distressed about it, actually, because it was repetitive. And the problem was this, Mark. Uh, think of an office building or a hospital building or most commercial buildings have a ceiling above your head that's got ceiling tiles of some kind, and you can easily lift those out. And if you look up above that ceiling, that's called the plenum up in there. And that's where all of the, I call it the spaghetti of the building exists. <laughs> the ductwork and the pipes and the wires and the sprinkler pipes and the low voltage stuff and the IT system and so on. No matter how hard HOK and our engineers tried, we never seemed to be able to design all of that spaghetti, all that stuff, so that the contractor could just come in and using our drawings and specs, just build it. It always seemed that there was a conflict somewhere. The duct was too big to fit underneath the beams or the sprinkler pipe had to get routed around the ductwork. So the contractors were constantly peppering us with questions during construction. And how am I gonna make this work was basically the question. But behind the question was, why don't you dumb architects get it right the first time? And that really plagued me. So quite by chance, I got an inquiry from somebody I did not know. That's where the story gets quite interesting. That's Ian Howell, an Australian architect and principal consultant at Built Environment Strategies. He's engaged as the U.S. representative for Building Smart International, tasked with reestablishing the U.S. chapter. At the time of this recording, Ian has stepped in as interim CEO at the request of the BSI board to manage operations until appointment of a replacement full-time CEO. Ian's pivotal role in this story emerged from a unique and international path. With an interest in technology, he always volunteered at his architecture firms to be the guinea pig for new tools. His enthusiasm led him to learning new CAD software in the UK, distributing the first 3D design systems in Australia, distributing software in North America, and eventually landing at Autodesk. Autodesk were about to add what they called Object ARX on top of AutoCAD. In other words, walls, doors, and windows instead of lines, arcs, and circles. And I was part of that team. I was the director of AEC Marketing, which was really an industry marketing role bridging between user needs, having come from an architectural practice and working on projects, and the engineering guys who didn't know about the domain. So really being a bridge between the two, talking to customers about their needs. And one of the things I learned is that uh, our users, our customers, were pretty unhappy with the idea that everything was locked in what Autodesk called their DWG file uh, in AutoCAD parlance and weren't able to really use and, and reuse that data. So I basically started this idea of what about an open standard? What about an ability to share uh, wall stores and windows? So it was really built from my work as a practitioner using the tools on projects 
understanding the requirements from uh, customers because I'd lived that problem myself. And what could we do about that differently going forward? And Ian asked if he could meet with me. He said he had an idea about how to solve coordination problems in the building industry. Well, that was enough for me that I said, yes, I agree to a meeting. So he came to my office in San Francisco to meet with me. And Ian is quite a character. He's filled with energy, wants to get things done. And Ian began to explain to me this concept of coordination and he used terms that I did not plainly understand. Fancy word interoperability. I had to ask him what that word meant. That's my computer program understands completely what your computer program is saying. They can talk to each other. You know, he showed me diagrams and kept talking. And I, I said, finally, Ian, I just don't understand why, why would I be interested in this? And he, he, he stopped and said, well, what's your biggest pain point? I said, that's easy. That's the plenum problem, coordinating all this spaghetti up above the ceiling. And he said, if you join our group, I promise we're going to find a solution to your plenum problem. There was this real frustration that the customer was using different applications on a project structural engineering analysis programs. They were trying to draft the floor plans in AutoCAD, for example. They were just starting to try and do some energy design around ductwork layouts and so forth. So at that time, all that information was fragmented. Uh, and they basically said, we can't coordinate our cross-discipline building information because of all these fragmented files. And it goes back to what we did with paper, Patrick, or at least overlays on a drafting table where we would print out all these different sheets and overlay them. Um, and that really wasn't a process that was easily replicated when all of these electronic drawings were in different file formats. Precedent that was set was uh, a product that many people will recognize called Navisworks, where a small third-party developer figured out a way to combine Autodesk DWG files and Bentley DGN files and look at them together. And that was a huge breakthrough that there was some technology available, some entrepreneurial thinking where that problem was being addressed in the, in the 2D version, the original 2D version of Navisworks. So it's like, okay, I now know that's possible <laughs> and that is addressing the need. And all this was based on 2D CAD at the time. Where I really saw the opportunity and the breakthrough was when object-oriented programming became a new thing. Uh, Microsoft created the Microsoft Foundation classes and C++ programming was the new thing in town from a technology point of view, technology architecture perspective. And as Autodesk Engineering was starting to use that and we were imagining wow, we can actually have objects and objects can represent physical things and it can be a wall or a door or a window and these things can potentially intersect and have relationships. You know, when that became uh, possible, I put my hand up as the director of AEC Marketing and said, the biggest user base that Autodesk has, over 50%, is in the AEC space. It is architecture, engineering and construction. We should be the first to use this new object layer and it is about wall stores and windows. And I think our users will be really excited if we go there, uh, first show them what's possible. And it suddenly dawned on me, 
why should those objects be locked in this proprietary format when those objects could be shareable and reusable to address the frustration that I've been hearing uh, for the prior conversations with so many customers in so many parts of the world. To be honest, I think it was Honeywell, uh, of all the customer voices in terms of frustration, it was Honeywell, which was a very loud voice saying, we've got to be able to do something better. And I sounded this idea first with them in terms of, you know, what if those ducts and pipes could be objects and we could think about multidisciplinary coordination. Uh, and Honeywell were very excited and uh, talked to their colleagues and friends uh, at uh, AT&T Bell Labs, who then spoke to Tishman. So I had this small nucleus of two or three companies that were at a high enough level of frustration that they kept hammering on me as the industry director of, you know, what the hell are you going to do about this? because they were receiving information from architects that they couldn't consume and reuse when they were thinking about communications and certainly building systems. He said he was inviting a select group of companies to work on this together as a private consortium. We were all going to meet at Autodesk headquarters outside of San Francisco in a few weeks, and that the requirement was, if we all committed to this, that each company would agree to stick to this program for one year, each one of us would bring a technical person with us, somebody that understood computer language and technology to help translate what we saw, what we said to each other in plain English into something that computers could understand. So I said, okay, and I made that commitment. I've always been interested in not just design and architecture, but also in human creativity and stuff. So I went back to school here at night for a graduate degree in artificial intelligence here at WashU in St. Louis. This is Ken Harold, currently co-founder of the startup Within, a company that focuses on bringing the tactics used in the lean startup methods to corporations, universities, and new entrepreneurs. At the time, Ken was the chief knowledge officer at HOK. After graduating from college with dual degrees, architecture and computer science, Ken caught the attention of HOK when they saw that he had written 3D software in college. At HOK, he helped develop HOK Draw, a proprietary 2D slash 3D CAD software, which made him the perfect choice to join Patrick on this endeavor. So as soon as I completed that in 1992, I started to think about going out and doing other kinds of things to see where AI fit. Uh, we were playing with it at HOK in a little bit. So back in about 1993, I loved HOK and I loved the environment, but I want to try to do something else. So I resigned from HOK. You know, we all want to go and try other things. So I left. And at the time I was leaving, Jerry Sinkoff, who was leading HOK kind of overall at the time, came to me and says, I know you guys want to go do something, but we still would like you to help us, right? So he asked me to help with some other technical things. And then he said, there's this new thing. And that's when I met Ian Howe for the first time here in St. Louis, obviously. Uh, met Ian Howe and Ian Howe kind of outlined what they wanted to do. And that's when they had asked if I would help Patrick with the Building Smart Alliance. So that was kind of the first impetus of the whole thing. So my interest was, I really come to understand this whole idea of behaviors and human behaviors and AI and what it does. So I was interested actually in looking at that idea of behaviors in building object modeling. There's this idea of behavior. In other words, what does an object do, right? So a wall, the wall needs to have a fire rating. What does that mean? 
do you have the boundary enough to contain a fire and that kind of stuff. So it was looking at these more advanced kind of things, which I knew objects potentially could hold and could deal with that was part of my interest as we spun out. So I got to focus along with the other things I was doing um, with Patrick on the Building Smart Alliance. And a month or so later, in uh, early 1994, we had our first meeting at Autodesk. And it was quite exciting, actually. There were 12 companies. Each one had two representatives. And seven of the companies were companies that worked across the spectrum of the building industry. HOK was the architects. We had mechanical electrical engineer from uh, New York City. Tishman Construction, big contractor, was the general contractor in the room. Honeywell was there, and they make building controls at things like thermostats and so on. AT&T Bell Laboratories, really interesting group, and they were working on communications within buildings. Carrier Corporation, the maker of air conditioning equipment, mechanical equipment of all kinds. The Lawrence Berkeley Lab people were there because they wanted to see how they could apply this new thinking that Ian had been talking about to making buildings more efficient, using less energy. And in addition to the seven companies that represented the spectrum of the, of the building industry, there were five software companies. Autodesk was one of them. There was a facility management software company and another one dedicated to scheduling and another one for engineering of buildings. And finally, one for project management or construction management. So it was a diverse group of people and I wasn't exactly sure how we were going to put this together. I didn't have a lot of success convincing the management at Autodesk in terms of this being a good idea, truth be told. So the strategy I adopted is that I invited all those company representatives, very senior level, to come into the executive briefing center in San Rafael. And I said, I will bring the CEO, Carol Bartz, into the room, and I need you all to tell Carol what it is that you are frustrated <laughs> about and what it is you need, because your customer voice is going to be much more meaningful than some crazy Australian with some wild idea. Um, and indeed, Carol did listen to what you all said. Yes, I remember when she came in and sat down and we kind of went around the table. My version was definitely non-technical. It was really about flexibility and freedom. But each one of us said this, more or less the same thing to Carol. She looked around at all of us and at you and she said, well, okay, let's see where this goes. In order to build smart, you need to operate intelligently. If you feel frustrated wrangling all your spreadsheets to get a clear view of where your projects stand today, or you're tired of staring at poorly designed software that's just slowing you down, Monograph is here to help. Designed by architects for architects, the Monograph platform allows you to track your firm's time, projects, budgets, invoices, and payments all in real time. With their innovative visualization tool, MoneyGant, you can immediately see whether you're under or over budget. Need to easily adjust your team's time week to week? Their tool resource allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget. Visit monograph.com today to see why hundreds of architecture firms call Monograph a game changer. How familiar are you with the hidden forces shaping our world? 
Learn about the spaces you occupy every day with Spaces Podcast, a journey through the design, construction, and the impact of our evolving environments. Hi, I'm Demetrius Lynch, host of Spaces, and I'm thrilled to take you on a ride through the intersections of environment, politics, culture, and economy. Join me and leading industry professionals as we uncover the stories behind the spaces that shape societies, past, present, and future. Today, there's a certain amount of cynicism and and kind of general malaise. Maybe many practices should come together and think about common goals, solving some of the major issues of the day. If I'm not mistaken, am I seeing like a wallpaper that is imitating books in some places? Yeah, I have to say, now we are in peace with this. But (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe now by following the link in the show notes, and let's unravel the secrets of our built world together. Spaces Podcasts. Go beyond the everyday, because spaces shape society. very interesting to me to hear this story because typically during an architectural project, all of these entities are sitting opposite, sort of working almost in conflict with one another. This is the first time that you've invited all of these different entities together to sit on the same side of the table and have these coordination conversations about how do we just do this better as an industry? What was the result of that? Well, the result was actually spectacular. We found that we not only liked each other, but as we grew in trusting each other, we began to understand each other's needs much, much better and were able to translate that into computer language. So when we had our monthly meetings, we would all take great delight when our tech people would come in and do a little demonstration of some coordination issue that the computers were able to do. Can we share a similar object model. That was the whole goal. Went out and found people who were integral to making decisions. And this has always been Patrick's focus, is being able to cut down the amount of times it makes decisions in the building process. That's what saves us money. That's what's caused us from getting into trouble. But the whole idea was um, what finally became a movement in the industry to combine everybody up front in the design process uh, with the contractor on board, we try to do up front. And we try to use objects as the base to store and to do our individual work, but yet add to that model so that the model kind of grew as it, as it moved through the whole process. Ultimately, we were focusing on a big conference that goes on in the building industry. So the goal was to kind of come up with a prototype that we could show to the industry basically to show how things get transferred during a a design process between all the parties and decisions are made and how information is added onto that model and as we move forward. That AEC system show was attended by thousands of people. This was revolutionary. The idea that you weren't just putting down dumb lines on paper like drafting. You were actually creating objects that had intelligence and they could interact with other objects and that the architect and the engineer could actually exchange information through their computers instead of printing out drawings and then comparing drawings and having a meeting. That was a revolution. It was crude, it was was early days. We weren't able to exchange a lot, uh, mostly geometry, I think, but it was 
a revolution in the making. Yeah, and I think the interesting part about it was exactly that, is that it was very early in the industry. We were the only software out there in the building modeling CAD realm, and we weren't public at the time. It was a private-owned software that was truly objects from beginning to end. Everything we did, everything we stored, every way we used it, we used it in structural engineering, uh, civil engineering, the architecture, interiors, everything kind of objects. So they would push stuff into that model. We would push our stuff based on our format into that model. And then we would be able to share with this kind of translator, if you want to call it that, that would have a common model that we could, could then translate <laughs> forward and back between the systems as we move forward so that um, you could use the kind of system that you're more accustomed to. Because each vendor, each each service provider, whether you're a structural engineer, whether you're a contractor, they're all using their own systems. The, the problem is each of those have different needs and values that provides to that engineer or architect or contractor or even the customer in this case for facility management. And that's the other thing that started to happen is as we started to do this, we noticed, well, there's a lot of information ahead of design and there's a lot of information after construction that's are important for facility management. So that's when the big idea expounded even more where we started to look at well, it's not even just in the design phase. It's in the whole life cycle of the building. We could use this model. We all got to be pretty proud of ourselves and began to feel like a team instead of like separate players in our industry, which is the, historically what we have been. Did you solve the plenum problem? Yes. Yes, we did, Mark. <laughs> we actually solved plenum coordination. Again, if you think about it, it's primarily geometry, how to get everything to fit up there. Turns out that the computers were pretty good at exchanging geometry information between one program and another, and that we solved many other things as well. And so by the end of that year of proof of concept, all 12 companies were firmly committed to continuing to work. We didn't want to stop. And we began to have discussions about how should we continue? Should we continue as a 12 company consortium should we invite other players to the table? For example, we had no structural engineer in the first group, and et cetera. Gradually, over the conversation, we, we came up with a concept that was, in retrospect, quite revolutionary. We decided that we had to become global instead of U.S.-based. I've said it before, but I could as easily uh, order a Mitsubishi elevator for my building as a, an Otis elevator. Products are made all over the world now in the supply chain for buildings, uh, even simple, modest buildings, single family homes, products come from everywhere. We also decided that we had to be like the AIA or the AGC, but a new entity that represented everybody, all the way from the design pieces to the construction, to the building operation and uh, the supply chain of all the products. That was a big leap in thinking, Mark, that we realized, well, if we're really going to make this successful, it can't just be biting off a little piece and having that, being satisfied with that. And we also realized that as the 12 companies had done, this new entity that we would create needed to work by consensus. When we built our system of exchanging information, we had plenty of debate and discussion, uh, some argument but we basically continued to work until we all agreed on what information we needed from each other. So we needed to work by consensus in this new organization. And 
last and maybe most revolutionary, we needed to be neutral. We didn't want to represent any software companies or any product manufacturers or any one entity. We needed to be like the Swiss. We needed to be neutral and friends with everyone and open to everyone. And of course, that meant that we would not be associated with Autodesk, who was sponsoring our consortium. And that's where it all started, right? With Ian Howell and Autodesk really was the origin of it. How did they respond to that? They were surprised. And Carol Bartz, she couldn't believe it when she heard it because they had invested considerable money in organizing and hosting this 12-company consortium. So she asked to meet with us. We had a couple days of meeting kind of to recap, debrief on what had happened at the AE show. And I remember flying out to San Francisco and I think we were meeting in the boardroom of Autodesk, no less. So we were in their home court. I remember the conversations and I remember uh, the conversation where Patrick said, in order for this to work and to be successful, we could not be associated with Autodesk or any software company. Well, you can imagine with a company <laughs> who was even at that time, the 800 pound gorilla right in the nineties saying, well, wait a minute, we've spent a lot of money and energy ourselves. And so now you want to give it away for free. So I remember the conversation. I remember Patrick, and it was the guy from AT&T, I forget who was uh, that. And they kind of said to Autos, they said, we will not participate in this unless it's open. If you look at an HOK, we can't define who the contractor is. We can't even sometimes define who the engineers are going to be. So we can't define a software uh, suite for a project team going forward, especially not for facility management. You know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Carol Bartz. I think she was a great CEO for Autodesk. That's what they needed. Uh, she was the first one, I think, since the founder. So she really understood. She came from a big software company, big technical company. And I think she understood that, to be honest, Autodesk at the time was way behind the curve when it came to object technology. You know, it's one of those things that you see software companies, they become very successful for, with a product. And so they just keep on iterating the product, stepping back and saying, okay, we're going to throw that away, <laughs> right? And we're going to build something from scratch is not typically in the DNA of most software companies or technical companies. So I think that's what she was. She could see trying to own it all, it was not going to work for them. So Carol Bartz, without reluctance, agreed I would say, Mark, it very candidly, she agreed her successor at Autodesk thought she made a mistake and it caused a real rift for some years between Autodesk and what became Building Smart Community. But at that, in the early stages, she was supportive and she saw the wisdom of having a neutral organization telling the software companies, basically, this is the information that we need you to bake into your programs that we need to exchange in order to successfully coordinate our work as we're designing or building or operating buildings. Were the software companies still invited to be part of it? Were they still participating? Absolutely, including Autodesk. As we began to discuss things that we needed to have, information that we needed to exchange, the software companies had to react to that. Well, we know how to do that, or we don't know, or that technology exists, or it doesn't exist. So they were part of the solution and so they were and continue to be participants in what became Building Smart, but only participants. None of them serve on our board of directors, for example. 
because software companies, if given the opportunity, maybe would design software that serves their purpose and their clients and make it proprietary. Proprietary is a fancy word that says, if you use my software, it'll work better with my cousin's software. But if you don't use my software, you, you can't, you'll be shut out of this. We wanted for anyone to be able to pick up any software that they chose that would work for them. You know, if I'm an engineer, a structural engineer, I want the best structural engineering software that suits my needs as an engineer. But I want to be able to exchange information with my architect and my mechanical engineer and my contractor. There's a term for this, Mark, and it's called open BIM software. Software that works in an open way. I can buy whatever software suits me and use it and have the same access to information from everybody else's software. The opposite of that is proprietary software. And Autodesk and many other big software companies try, as they probably should, to get a community of users that all use the same software. So you can use Autodesk architect software and mechanical engineer software, and they do a pretty good job of exchanging information with each other. But if you use a mechanical software from some other company, uh, it doesn't work so well. And that was one of the things holding our industry back. And so you would say, well, why would a software company like Autodesk that has a very big market share agree to this? And I, I think uh, the, the answer will come out in, in future sessions. But basically, if we want the industry to improve, we have to do this. And we were able to convince the software companies, at, finally, at the end of the day, since we're developing a global standard for information exchange, every software company that makes software now has a global marketplace to sell to. And uh, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but after many years of uh, sometimes difficult relationships with some of the big software companies, especially perhaps Autodesk, they are now firmly in the fold as a major member of our community and fully supportive of OpenBIM. And Mark, uh, I think the most important thing about this is information exchange is constant, whether you use software A, B, or C, and lots of little companies now, it's quite exciting to me, have come in and developed software for very specific purposes that do important little things to make buildings better, to make design easier, and to make the end result better for our customers who are the people that own and operate and of course use buildings. To continue the story, come back next week for the next episode of Build Smart, where we discuss the group's coordination solution, the IFC standard, and Patrick and his team hit the road to promote and expand the organization. I remember it as if it was yesterday, Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. We would fly to a city in the evening, have dinner, go to sleep in a hotel, wake up, go to a meeting site and meet with people that Ian had invited to meet with us. The first meeting I believe was in Stockholm, Sweden, and it was the, the Nordic countries. Then we went to London, to Munich, to Paris. And each place, it went pretty much the same. We would make a little presentation. We had made a little film, and then we would answer questions. They would say, okay, now let us have our own discussion in our own language. Thank you for listening. 
Season two of Build Smart Podcast has been made possible in part by Building Smart International, the worldwide industry body driving the digital transformation of the world's built assets. Learn how Building Smart International is impacting our world and how you might get involved at buildingsmart.org. This podcast is a Gable Media production and is produced by Demetrius Lynch Jr. Gable Media is the home of curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. You can listen in, subscribe, and find more content like this from our network partners at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.